0: the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are attempting something that has never been attempted before. Yes, not content with reviewing a measly three, sometimes four new shows for you, this week we are reviewing an entire channel. Did we watch the Beebs adaptation of his dark materials? Of course. Did we also take in the second season of Amazon's Jack Ryan? You bet your ass. But Apple TV Plus also launches this week and we weren't about to let that go, so we sat down to, between us, try our very best to watch everything launching on Apple's new streaming service when it lands on Friday. Oh, and we also have an interview this week as well, because Hayley Steinfeld stopped by to talk about her contribution to Apple's service, Dickinson. You didn't have plans for the next five hours or so, did you? No? Excellent. I'm James Dyer and welcome to The Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has neither eaten nor slept for the past five days as we pumped an endless stream of television into our eye holes. Joining me in my insomniac zombie state are two others who look like extras from the 33 episode of Battlestar Galactica. Excellent reference there. Uh, we don't have time for elaborate intros this week though, or you really will be here all day. Instead, I will simply say that Boyd and Terry are both here, in body if not in mind. How are you both? Good. 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 I should also caveat this by saying that perhaps this, this uh, sense of exhaustion probably more applies to me because I messed up.
1: Yes, you did. I messed up.
0: <laughs> so when, when being given access to the glut of televisual goodness that Apple hoisted upon us this week, I may or may not have neglected to check the air dates and therefore watched a load of stuff that we actually not only don't want to review this week, but literally can't review this week because it's under embargo. You utter doofus. So I watched a whole, like, raft of shows that are on Apple Plus, which I can't even talk about, and Um, nearly killed myself doing it.
1: Well, this is... So I'm I'm a bit um, concerned about whether you fully grasp the concept of time because (laughs) we got access to these shows at 7 o'clock last night... Mm -hmm. It is now two thirty six yes. on Friday. Yes. What did you do? Did you like? Was the the Tardis involved? Was there a wormhole? Was there a portal? What? What? What was it, James? Time Turners. Time Turners. Of course it was.
0: Um, now I, I may or may not have slept. Uh, no, I, I I was watching them well into the night. I was watching them in the morning. I was watching them on the train. What's
1: I weird do not is, like Green
2: Eggs and Ham. Is, I do what, not what? What's really weird is, we, it's stab, we all agreed... There's a like, list. This, <laughs> there's a list.
1: Don't get me started we on the said,
2: fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> we said we were going to review three specific shows. I, okay, so at okay. what point did you just go, no, I'm going to
0: watch everything? All right. It's like,
2: Netflix has about 8,000 things starting every week. Are we going to watch all of them? Just because you
0: decided I'm, that's what we I do? just kind of assumed, Boyd, that you'd fucked it up and you <laughs> got them wrong. <laughs> and actually, you completely forgot Textbook, diet. And at this point, I would make a formal apology Except you kind of did because you forgot the for all mankind. No, I didn't. Also,
2: no, I didn't. Also, dropped on on Friday. I decided that was not. One of the main scripted shows that we should be reviewing—we can't review and review everything. I mean, well, I think if I'm Boyd, I am
0: living proof that that is not the case. I mean, Snoopy and space launches on as well, but we're not reviewing that. Funny you should say that, Boyd, because I spent... no, I didn't. I didn't watch Snoopy in space.
1: So the tagline of Pilot TV, which James appears to have forgotten, is because you can't watch everything. Except
0: James (laughs) can. The
1: whole point meant to be that this is a curation. James has copped the curation out of the window, decided to redefine what we're doing. Turned up this morning. Oh, you haven't watched such and such, and I. I was like gripping the desk going it's not, it's not on the list what about the list James cares not I
2: and care, I like I care fact, not for your list I like list. the fact you've thrown me under a bus as well claiming that <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that for a and, then, and when in fact the first thing you said to me this morning was when you mentioned you'd watched everything <laughs> I said well not everything it's you on the, on the first day and you went yes it is and I said no it isn't you said yes it is, I said, yes, it is. I, said, no, it I said no it isn't this went on for about an
0: hour and then Boyd produced uh, to, print to produce something a out. piece of paper which clearly showed I was wrong yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean you can James explain anything if this we are sure and you James explain everything to the point where we've decided that my um, child won't recognize its own father's voice it will recognize James's voice and come out probably explaining to me as well yeah but to to TV explain to Boyd's TV's Boyd Hilton I mean he's quite something yeah. it was yeah. it
0: was a foolish endeavour yeah. I will grant you that he's
1: not called TV's Boyd Hilton for nothing I know
0: I know I'm going to start explaining all about fucking Star Wars to you <laughs> <see what happens. laughs> right all of that takes us neatly onto what we've been watching you already know what I've been watching <laughs> although I have made time to watch a load of other stuff as well but we'll get to that Boyd what have you been watching
2: well I, I think we've shared a thing we've been watching which is Dublin Murders because oh. you use said to me we had this conversation earlier this week where you're like i'm on episode seven I yes. like, oh i've got to catch up with that <laughs>
0: caveat here caveat here for anyone here and that's everyone here because it has an idea who hasn't seen Dublin murders we are not about to no, drop no, no. any spoilers no. so do not panic no there will be no spoilers correct
2: so i think in the real world um as this goes out we'll be approaching week three so episodes um five and six yes we're going out so there'll the be YouTube. two left seven but left. i've seen the whole thing as have i oh, fucking hell it's incredible it and really is i think the the uh, the, the brilliant, brilliant brilliant thing she's done um uh sarah phelps adapting it from the Tana french novels is to shove these two books together yeah. um and m- meld them into this extraordinarily twisted thing and it is absolutely incredible it just gets more and more mm kind of hectically insane and intense doesn't it Um, so I just and I think in the end I mean we said this at the time but casting these two those two are so brilliant Mm. and the shame if it is folks, that's it for them because this is no spoiler because the the Tana French's novels are different detective characters from this world and so the next thing presumably they'll carry on Fox will carry on adapting these books will be another character rather than these these guys Mm. Um, so it's interesting from that point of view but what a brilliant job she has done
0: she really has I I think the decision it's it's curious. I mean, I totally see why she put those books together because as you say, they those are the books that concern these characters. Yeah. But uh but it adds a whole new layer to this because yeah. it's it's a second mystery that takes place within the first mystery, which already has a mystery within mm. a mystery. Yeah. So it's not hard to understand why Lord Sugar's left scratching her head, going, <laughs> "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. Although um, he's, if he just fucking concentrated, I don't know
2: why was <laughs> throwing so much. But a
0: few people, a few people on Twitter have said the same thing because I tweeted, "This is absolutely hands down one of the shows of the year," and people were like, "I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I'm, it's completely lost me." So well, I think a lot of people have struggled with it.
1: Can mm. I use that as a segue into what mm. I've been watching this week? Because I and
0: it's strictly well. I heard what happened on the last episode of Strictly.
1: Hi. <laughs> so I watched all four of The Accident, which obviously last week, what um, we talked on about... On purpose? On purpose. Last week, we talked about how much we wanted to... Well, Boyd and I, yeah. you were put off by parts of it, um, wanted to go off and watch the whole thing. I did... Um, last weekend, I went and watched all of them alone. Um, I don't know why that was relevant.
2: <laughs> you had, to, had to be alone. Um, alone. Leave me alone. Um,
1: and I... Loved it, and I think part of what we were saying last week about it's not your typical disaster drama at all. It's kind of this Trojan horse for me, um, and I'm not sure if that's part of the problem because the it aired the first episode aired last night, and Twitter, from what I could see, was really negative. There's really? been a couple of stories really? this morning saying it was slammed, it was attacked. Okay. Um, Quite a few people who follow me, I was talking to them, they seemed to really like it. But there was there was a bit of a um, negativity that I was quite surprised by. And I think it is people were, I think people were confused. There was a bit of negativity which I was quite surprised at, and I think it's massively undeserved. But I honestly think it's because when you see kind of the trailer and you see the publicity shots and it's Sarah Lancashire and do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Joanna Scanlon and you yeah. go, oh, I know what this is. This is your classic um, kind of... Uh, Primetime drama, gritty, British, heartwarming—you know, triumph over tragedy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's not that at all. It's so complex and thorny, and the way it deals with domestic violence and community and all of those things, which I think is so not the easy route to take. And I loved the way Jack Thorne, who obviously wrote it, really kind of got inside that stuff. But I don't know how well that necessarily translates to everybody, mm. and whether the people who may. You would have enjoyed it more. Felt it was for them based on what they'd seen so far. So I'm not. I can't, I'm trying to work out what people really didn't connect with. I still stand by the fact that it's absolutely fucking amazing, and the entire four together are just. I, brilliant.
2: I watched the second episode, and, and I'm carrying on loving it. So, uh, do people do people have issues with the domestic abuse storyline? People. Or? So
1: people were saying it's it's kind of not realistic. Um, oh. the way the parents were behaving, the accents were bad. Um, mm. and The um, uh, likability of some of the characters seemed to throw people. The domestic violence stuff, I had a couple of conversations with people who were like, I couldn't watch it because of that or I found that really difficult. Mm. Um, And... That I think is understandable, but I think it's it that shouldn't really put you off watching it. Okay. It's, it's an incredibly realistic portrayal of domestic violence. I saw a few people going, why would she, But why, why would she hook him? Like after he just <sighs> attacked yeah. her and you're, and, and we, you know, that's what happens in domestic violence yeah. situations is the complicated nature of it. Anyway, I still say if you only watch one and you will have done because you're not us, um, give the second one a go, um, see if it's for you. If you don't think it's for you, give it a go as well because I think you might be surprised. Um... I think the four are absolutely fantastic.
2: Interesting, to bring up the accents, because people do have issues with accents, more and more, I'm noticing. And I think um, I remember seeing um, a screening of another show set in Wales. I can't remember what it was, a few months ago. And and there was quite an aggressive um, question from a Welsh reporter about why have you cast non-Welsh actors? And I think particularly, I think more and more, I mean, this happens across the board, doesn't it, that people get annoyed when... Actors a cast who aren't from the exact yep. ethnic background of the person they're portraying. That's a thing. I mean, you know, I'm Jewish, and when non-Jews play Jews on screen, it, I don't give a flying shit. But I mean, that is different to other situations <laughs> of a similar nature. Yep. But I think if I, I don't know if I'm, I'm from Essex, I don't necessarily care if people are t- changing their accent to be. But I do think, but I know it's a thing. And some writers are very much like, well, all these people are from the area where they're supposed to be from, and they're not pretending to do, be something they're not. But people think that is becoming more of an issue. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me Sarah Lancashire is clearly front and centre not Welsh but she did say um, that she actually spoke spoke in that accent in her real life throughout the various three or four months of filming. Message. That she stayed in that accent, even at home during Christmas, she said she was still... So, you know, I mean, she's trying her very best, is all I can say. And she's so brilliant. I think that comes down to is not it? When an actress is that incredible, she is so brilliant mm. at everything she does, and she's got a history of being another Jack Thorne stuff. You can Of course you're going to cast her in this big, big incredible role challenging yeah. role even though
0: she isn't actually Welsh where it's set, yeah. seems fair enough I, I do much the same thing in the future <laughs> I'm playing the role of a patronising bellend in something so I've been maintaining <laughs> this character now yeah. for some time this, as I may have uh, very hang convincing. on is
1: this method is yeah. this you being yeah. method to this play me James method. Dyer to That's play right. James Dyer
0: yeah doing a good job yeah. I'm really not geeky mm. at all it's you, very learned, uh, you could
1: win an Oscar yeah thanks that'd be good
0: um, I haven't been watching that obviously I have been pressing on with Living With Yourself which I'm enjoying mm. a lot and actually does as Boyd said get a lot better as it goes along. And I feel a little bit like they buried the lead with that show, where they didn't really well anyway I'm not going to spoil it but it's, it does get better it's one of these things where if you enjoy the first two definitely watch the rest because it, it picks up speed and, uh, and becomes joyously glorious as it goes along which is nice yeah, does, uh, yeah. for anyone waiting for the second installment of Terry Watches Gate, that will <laughs> happen next week because we had all the shows to watch this week and there just aren't enough which hours it was a very popular new slot I noticed on, on yes. uh, Twitter what we're going to do now is we're going to go through every single episode of all of the seasons including the Peacekeeper Wars miniseries and uh, you can do a live commentary
1: Oh, God. <laughs>
0: yeah, it'd be good. Anyway, shall we move on to this week's news? Who wants to start? Um, Modern Love has been recommissioned. I saw that, yeah. yes. It's yeah. been recommissioned for season two. I'm very pleased about that.
1: I read, a, did anyone see that piece that um, uh, seemed to be getting a lot of traction on Twitter, which was a really interesting take on kind of the representation? And some possible diversity issues in that season. No, I didn't
2: see that. So
1: there was a piece doing the rounds on Twitter this week um, by a writer called Nyla Burton, um, who wrote a piece for Zora Mag about the exclusion of women of colour specifically from um, Modern Love because I think there are African-American men in in the whole season but not women. Um, And she was writing about how it reflects kind of the exclusion of women of colour off screen. Um, And I thought it was really interesting because it hadn't even occurred to me and that kind of made me feel pretty awful. I have to say that I hadn't really noticed that. And I think the question she poses is, you know... Is is modern love really only for white women and and telling the stories of of white women's relationships, which I thought was a a really fair point. And it but it does seem to have had a bit of a mix. Mm. I mean, we were a little bit mixing it on yeah. other than James.
0: <laughs> James,
1: <laughs> yeah. the uh, the the pure-hearted romantic. That that's I right. Is. That's
0: right. You're just the problem is you're just too cynical and dead inside. That's that's your problem.
1: I mean, yes.
0: I mean, I was joking, but
2: sure. Um, Okay, good, good. I mean, it did feel quite even when, even if it, even without, even it was quite diverse um apart from that issue but even then it felt and it had some working class go but it felt very middle class to upperm- yeah. even when it was dealing with working class for characters it did have that whole i don't know that i felt the whole kind of you know tone of it somehow i mean the column bit, right the column is, yeah. in the
1: new york times is very yeah if you think about the kind of stories you often see in the new york times right and it often represents a certain uh version of new york especially when they do new york stories yeah, exactly, and you see yeah. the new york stories on there it's very kind of mm. one view of new york which is you know they get the, the one we all liked with the doorman right that's a very yes, specific exactly. view exactly, of of yeah. of upper west or east god knows where it was it was upper upper <laughs> west east side <laughs> yeah. new york living as a kind of a young white woman i suppose and um, i just thought it was a really interesting mm. perspective that mm. hadn't occurred to me
0: Joel Edgerton may be returning to the role of Owen Lars (laughs) in Star Wars. You
1: know when I was speaking, then I could see him. He does this thing when he He nods, but he's not listening. He's waiting for me to stop talking so he can say something. (laughs) uh, He can say something geeky. I could see him. He's like, it
0: was, it was.
1: Is she done? Is she done? Is she done? Is she done? (gasps) Joel Edgerton.
0: (laughs) So does that mean you don't care? anyway as you'll remember uh, he played Uncle Owen in the prequels and he thought he was done with it but just when he thought he was out Disney Plus has pulled him back in or at least might be he's not confirmed 100% but he has hinted heavily that he may be returning to the role of Owen Lars so uh, I know that you absolutely don't give a shit however this is the thing that's happening
1: (laughs) can we talk about Daleks? Mm. Did you see this? No. <laughs> I've now gone on to James's kryptonite. I was about to um, say, are you
0: now not doing what I just did to you? Are you trying to out geek me with a weird, nerdy non sequitur?
1: Um, so there was some Daleks spotted um, uh, in Cardiff, I presume. No, Bristol um, during the Doctor Hugh sh- which I think it's still shooting, right? Which seems.
2: Well, I thought you'd finished, but um, I may be wrong. Yeah.
1: Um but it appeared so there was a picture from Clifton Suspension Bridge yeah. which showed these Daleks, right, on set. Yeah. Daleks on set. It's a whole subgenre. Um and there was talk about whether it was new Daleks, um or but they seem to be this kind of souped up version of the Daleks, which would indicate they are kind of there in the new season, which would be amazing. Mm. I mean, you know, as much as you like the kind of the um, introduction of new villains in Doctor Who still nothing and actually if you know your Doctor Who nothing inspires fear in the Doctor like mm. the Daleks mm. like the Daleks are, are, the, are the people people not the people Daleks are the things which of course have struck the most yeah. fear into the Doctor over the years so I think to have Jodie's 13th Doctor facing off against the Daleks will be amazing because
2: mm. there was one Dalek wasn't there in, yes. the, in the first her yes. first series um, yes. a solitary Dalek
1: but this and that is... was bad enough Enough, this yeah. is the slash good Daleks. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah like en masse Daleks yeah. Yeah, that's I can't
0: mean. help feeling that this podcast dynamic is skewed against me like if I had come out and said to you oh guess what it's just I've just read that the Andorans will be will be appearing in Star Trek Discovery season 3 you'd be like oh Christ and Boyd would roll his eyes as well but <laughs> apparently the presence of Daleks on Clifton fucking suspension bridge that is news <laughs> James literally just like did a kind of jazz handsy thing about
2: Clifton suspension Daleks <laughs> it was really weird Clifton suspension <laughs>
1: <laughs> but isn't the weirdest part of this entire thing that you don't like? Yes, God that's the that's weird thing. Because it sh- it's shit. No. It's <laughs> It's like everything you about idiot. it. It has every marker of oh. James Dyer, and yet you inexplicably hate
0: it. I'm unpredictable. <sighs> <sighs>
1: That's one word for yeah. it.
0: So, back to good things. Game of Thrones' <laughs> Joseph Maul, who you may remember played Uncle Benjen, uh, is going to be joining Amazon's Lord of the Rings show, the show that Boyd is most excited about. <laughs> so, so that's exciting. Benjen Stark, he's going to be playing, wait for it, hang on, a villain named Orin.
1: Okay, here's a question. Yeah. Do you actually have an opinion on that piece of news?
0: Oh well, I liked Uncle Benjamin, I liked Lord of the Rings, and I like Game of Thrones. So it's there's three things three things I'm broadly positive towards uh bundled together in a single news story. So yeah, I'm saying so. Fair enough. I'm more excited about
2: <laughs> the confirmation of um Michaela Cole's new show. Do you know yes. about this? So Michaela Cole's new show is called January twenty-second. Um, she's written it. She's going to star in it. And they've announced other cast members, including Papa who who's in Kiri, um, and is a great actor. Adam Jones, who's in Dr. Foster. Um, but the best thing about it all, and I kind of knew this show was going in this direction. So this is Michael Cole, who's most famous for Chewing Gum. Um, brilliantly funny mm. um, show. But this series is a drama about, and it's a fearless, frank, and provocative look at the question of sexual consent in contemporary life. But she, I'm so excited about this, because she gave um, the um, keynote speech at the Edinburgh TV Festival last year, not this year, and she talked about her own experiences in the TV industry of um, kind of her own Me Too experiences. And um, talk about Fearless. I mean, it was an incredible Mm. speech, incredibly um, raw speech, kind of, you know, kind of looking into the eyes of these men who are in the TV industry and telling, telling them what she's gone through and for her to turn all of that into TV drama sounds so exciting and interesting so
0: I'm very excited about that
1: that sounds fucking mm. incredible
0: yeah okay have you had the Michael Mann news
1: no James what is the Michael Mann news uh,
0: Michael Mann is going to direct an upcoming show on HBO Max called Tokyo Vice not to be confused with Miami Vice, or maybe it is. Maybe it's a companion piece. To, no, it's not. Uh, this this has got uh, An- Ansel Elgort in it. Uh, Ken Watanabe is in it, and yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna be directing the pilot, which is pretty exciting. It's uh, apparently it's based on a memoir. I think it's based on uh, yeah, like a like a non-fiction sort of thing based on these memoirs, uh, and it's about the Tokyo metropolitan police beat, and Ansel Elgort plays a version of the author. Hmm. There will be corruption. There will be violence. There will be neon and the neon-soaked underbelly of Tokyo, I'm reading. There you go. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> why, why Why? is this now the subject of mirth? <laughs> I don't know. Is it the neon-soaked <laughs> underbelly of Tokyo? It's not as exciting as Clifton Bloody Suspension Bridge. Daleks on Clifton oh, Suspension Bridge. The there will be no Suspense Daleks bridge bridge. in the underbelly of Tokyo, neon-soaked or otherwise. There will be no Daleks, That your sequence, there will be blood, (laughs) there will be no
2: Daleks.
0: (sighs) So you know Apple are doing a Foundation series, now this is based on Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Oh yeah, this is very you, this is is very me. this is so you. So Jared Harris and Lee Pace have been confirmed, Mm. they're going to be starring in that, and Rupert Sanders is going to direct as Mm. well. Uh, To my, not really eternal shame, but eternal oversight, I've never read a Foundation book.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. Never I ever mean, won. I'm
0: horrified. And these are like, you know, Star Wars and stuff Inspired all sorts of stuff oh, Yeah You know David S. Gore is
2: producing it as well, show running it Yeah Of the Dark Knight fame That's right Yeah mm. we missed that bit out Well, I missed a bit of uh,
0: foundation knowledge <laughs> I mean, no one cares about that <laughs> Oh, God Anyway, yeah. um, anything else? Oh, Adventure Time has been saved Does <laughs> anything anyone care? Else? What? <laughs> Adventure Time. Did you ever watch Adventure Time? No. You, of course you have. What I don't believe for one second you've never seen Adventure Time. It's the, it's the little animated show with little weird-looking characters. Everyone oh, has that, T-shirts yeah. about it. Oh, Apparently yeah. it's super, yeah. quote-unquote, cool. Yes. So okay. that's, uh, that show got cancelled, as I recall. It was on Cartoon Network and it got killed. And HBO Max had brought it back. And this, this for, for, you know, the the nerdarati is a big deal. The <laughs> nerderati. <laughs> <laughs> which I would normally count myself a member of, but I've never seen Adventure Time.
1: Aren't you a leader of the Nerdirati? I
0: am in mm-hmm. many ways their senator. Yeah. However, however, I, this is this is one of my blind spots. It's, it's in the bin marked Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Star Trek, yeah. the original series. I mean, what can I tell you? It hasn't aged well. Um, <laughs> anything else?
1: Boyd?
2: Um, well, the ITV's put out the first look of Belgravia which we should should all be excited about this this is something to bring us all together because we're all fans of Downton Abbey yes Yes! (laughs) so this is Julian (laughs) Fellow's new series for ITV his big new Sunday night period drama this is set in the 18th century before the outbreak of the Battle of Waterloo and it's going to be all about how Belgravia the posh bit of London became a posh bit of London and it stars Alice E, Philip Glenster, Tamsyn Greg, Harriet Walter and Tom Wilkinson and just just you know the fact that it's. classic cast classic cast classic. classic fellows Julian Fellows back on ITV where he belongs not Sunday the, night not in the cinema not in the cinema us <laughs>
0: who hated the Downton Abbey film I quite liked it anyway yeah I'm excited about that okay that yes. I will definitely watch that mm. alright and that I suspect is it for news unless that's something else you want to bully me about anything no bully. excellent let's move that's a on a big word <laughs> I'm naming that you boy oh, okay. oh, really? um before we go on to this week's reviews, it's time for a guest. She is the Oscar-nominated star of True Grit and appeared in Bumblebee and The Edge of Seventeen. She is, of course, Hayley Steinfeld. Uh, and she stopped by to talk to Boyd about her role in Apple's Dickinson, which is a half-hour comedy revolving around Emily Dickinson, the famous poet. And this is what she said.
2: Hi, Haley. Welcome to London. Welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. Thank you. Um, Now, it strikes me this show Dickinson must be one of the most unusual projects you've ever done. I mean, essentially, it's a half-foul comedy Mm. about a 19th century poet with Wiz Khalifa as death.
3: (laughs) What was it that drew you to
2: that project in the first place?
3: Well, everything you've just listed. uh, The idea of this being my first uh, venture into the TV space was really exciting to me. It's obviously you know, the streaming world in general is where a lot of people and a lot of projects and a lot of content uh, are going. So when this came about and uh, it being Apple TV+, Plus, Apple's, you know, also first sort of venture into this TV world uh, themselves, that was very exciting to me. And then, of course, when we get into the minutiae of it all and this character and her crazy mind and, and her beautiful poetry, uh, it results in a show like this, which is somehow... Been made, it's been made possible that we can pull something like that off, this off. So it's very exciting,
2: right? Because we should say it's a period. It's set in the period, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's about Emily Dickinson, this legendary figure mm-hmm. in American literature. But it's funny and it's modern. That mm-hmm. whole tone of it is kind of unique. Was that partly what kind of attracted to you? And was that something that was work done as it was going on?
3: Absolutely. One of the reasons I, I loved it. I mean, I you know here I am reading this beautiful, like you just said, period piece on this literary icon and, you know, her poetry is so profound. And then all of a sudden you have a Wiz Khalifa song playing as she's writing this poem or some incredible, awesome, fun, urban artist, uh, contemporary music throughout. I was like, this is such an interesting, modern telling of of this period uh, in time. Um, so that was definitely of interest to me. And it, it took us, I'd say, week or two to kind of figure out what we were doing uh, as as actors anyway. Um, Elena Smith, who created this show, had a very clear vision from the start, um, but it was fun figuring it out and getting on board.
2: And it's actually that she's kind of like a feminist heroine, isn't she, in a way? Like, as, as, as relevant for our time as, as any kind of character I've seen recently in that sense.
3: Sure. Yeah, she um she was very much a uh what's the word I'm looking for? She a huge advocate for doing what made you feel good and creatively fulfilled and a lot of our show consists of the the wild things that would take place the things that she would do in order to have that whether it was five minutes or an entire day at a desk to write um and you know what's so insane is that what she did was so frowned upon and forbidden and in the time that she was alive uh and now Uh, I mean she probably would still have found ways now to to fight back and break down barriers and I think in many ways she sort of paved the way for women today um, and has inspired me and and, uh, many others and hopefully much more once this show is out uh, to speak up and not feel afraid or um, you know any shame in our game.
2: Yeah, she's fearless, isn't she? Because obviously, mm. we should say her parents don't approve of what she's doing. And mm. the mother wants her to kind of marry a nice, preferably rich gentleman. Right. The father seems against her writing completely. Mm-hmm. Sisters, everyone's against it. So she has to be strong-willed enough to kind of fight against all that.
3: Absolutely. I am so fascinated by how, you know, I mean, I have been doing this now for more than half my life, and I have most definitely faced a lot of rejection. Um, A lot of people that don't necessarily believe in me, or have certain opinions on my place in this world uh, and in my career, but I have my family that supports me through and through. And I don't understand, and and this is one thing I find so fascinating about her, is that everyone in her life, including those closest to her, didn't approve um, or didn't necessarily support her. And Weirdly, it all came from a loving sort of standpoint, right? Her mother wanted her to play the role of, of a housewife in that time. And that consisted of kitchen work and housework, wife, being a wife, having kids. That was their only purpose in life. And and Emily fought back. She fought against that. Um, so her mother sort of viewed that as something that was, you know, taking her out of her Purpose in in life, uh, so weirdly, it, it was all sort of out of out of love and care, but nobody nobody appreciated and respected that that mind that she had.
2: And it's interesting how it manages to milk a lot of comedy from that situation, mm. as well as being quite poignant.
3: I I do love how uh, how much of this. I mean, this show is called Dickinson. It's about the family, just as much as it's about Emily, uh, and she. It's about everything she wrote about. She wrote about you know domestic activities uh and and there are so many interesting relationships between her and her father her and her mother and they grow so much one thing about this i'm learning is like you know i've only ever known putting having having a movie and it's like you get it all right there and with this i just cannot wait for people to see how this unfolds and how you grow with these characters deeper and deeper um it's truly exciting and and fascinating my
2: I mean, which is, so it's all going to arrive in one go, isn't yes. it? Or 10 episodes on yes. the first. So you're like a pioneer in this Apple TV Plus world, aren't you?
3: I mean, <laughs> it's kind of crazy.
2: And you're also a producer. Now, that can mean all kinds of things. Kind of. What was your involvement in, in the show from the producing point of
3: view? Uh, just a lot of overseeing, uh, you know, these decision-making processes uh, when I I. I mean, I've always been interested in producing. It's always been something I've wanted to do. I've worked with some wonderful producers that have made it look like the most fun, least least stressful job. Uh, which I guess that means they're just good at what they do, um, because it it is very fun, uh, but can be a lot uh, as well as acting in the show. Um, it was it was it was a lot, but I had some wonderful fellow executive producers as well, and producers. Uh, but for me, it just required being a part of these conversations and uh, um, situations that I've never been concerned by as an actor. So it's it's wonderful because, like I said, I've always wanted to do it. And I, I of course, wanted the first project that I produced to be something that I felt this way about. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm excited it's this one.
2: Do you get involved in the casting of like, Wiz Khalifa as death? How did that happen? <laughs> Why is it him? It's, so, I mean, it kind of makes sense once you see it. Sure,
3: but... it, it, it does when you see it, yeah. uh, out of context. Not so much, right. I can agree with that. Um, I I think Elena, from day one, always wanted Wiz. I know that, I mean, from the minute I walked into, you know, the fitting rooms and um, production offices, Wiz was on the walls. Uh, I think that he is a truly perfect choice for the character of Death, because in Emily's eyes, Death is life. Death is creativity and freedom and color and space. Uh, and here we have this person who is so full of life and creativity. And, and, you know, I think there is, you know, this through line of hip hop being poetry, uh, and I mean, he's just also the coolest person ever. So, like, why not? <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure Elena had her sights set on him.
2: It was interesting to have a, a, a death who is that cool and kind mm. of just stylish and everything. That is right. Interesting. Totally. How was it having Jane Krakowski as your mum? Because she's like a TV comedy icon. Mm. Isn't she?
3: she is incredible, and and I mean, just a lovely human, which I always think is important to note because it's just nice when you can be a fan of someone's work and also a fan of their their self. Yeah. Um, she was really helpful uh, because this is, you know, again, a new experience for me. And it was great that I had her to ask if what we were doing was normal. Uh, but she just has such a wonderful energy and is incredibly funny, uh, but incredibly heartfelt. And I think a lot of the comedy in this show comes from the tragedy and the reality of, of how, you know, heartbreaking a lot of these scenarios are. Uh, and somehow we find the humor in that. And Jane, I mean, more than more than anyone can spot that from a mile away and make it feel still make it feel real, which is not easy to do.
2: And your your car, Emily has a, a romantic interest in in her kind of best friend. Mm. How was that to to evolve those scenes where you're kind of getting romantically interested in her?
3: <laughs> Emily Dickinson was was known to have a, a relationship with Sue Gilbert, her right. best friend, who ends up marrying her brother. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful relationships I've ever known about, I've ever played. Uh, This whole show is about not putting people in a box and it's it's about being seen and understood. And with Emily, very few people in her life Understood her and Sue Gilbert was one of them. She understood her and and loved her for everything she was and more, and that you know it was just this beautiful love affair that they have, uh, that they had have in our show had and had in real life. Um, and it's amazing to read through a lot of Emily's poems that were. Said to be written either to her or about her, um, it's truly a, a beautiful relationship.
2: It does feel very real that relationship. Mm. Like, it feels very kind of unforced and kind of natural. Yeah, it's, okay. it's interesting. Has you you talked about how you've been acting since you're a kid? Mm-hmm. Um, you got Oscar nominated at thirteen, fourteen mm-hmm. for right. True Grit. Has your approach to acting changed in that time? Do you do you approach this this character in a different way as you you'd have approached when you did True Grit? And that, oh, and that sure, time? of
3: course. I mean, I, I I think I know that because I think of ways I might approach True Grit if that came to me now. Uh, and though I have no idea how I did that when I was thirteen, I I can only imagine what I could do with something like that now. Um, and I guess that's that would be this uh, what I what I'm what I'm doing now. Uh, I've learned so much. I've become a lot more confident in myself, um, and I've I've experienced you know, this work with the best and, and I feel so fortunate um, because I think that with everything I do, not only do I feel like it's the first time I'm doing it, uh, I feel like I've, you know, I find my groove quicker in, in, in certain things and I don't know, I'm more confident, but uh, when it comes to approaching a character like this, I think the the one thing that hasn't necessarily changed is is the amount that I care and, and, and work for it. Um, the work never stops and and that's why I do it that's my favorite part yeah uh,
2: as we said you're, you're pioneering Apple TV plus along with people like Jennifer Aniston Oprah Winfrey Elizabeth, and no, we you were at that launch yeah. event were you at the Apple? <laughs> yes. how was that to be m- mingling with your fellow Apple TV stars
3: I mean so surreal yeah. to be honest just what a what a an amazing experience to be up at the Apple Park in Cupertino first of all um, and sitting through what we sat through up there—the launch of of all of their new products and announcements—and to be a part of that, I mean, this this feels like you know we're a part of history. But to be in the company of none other than Oprah, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, um, Jason Momoa—there uh, are so many wonderful people—and I have to say, there really did feel like a just a common love and respect for everybody, and and everybody wants everybody to to be happy and do well and uh it just it feels like a a little family in a way which is a pretty cool thing to be a part of
2: i see having seen the other shows i feel like there's one of the things that seems to link them is like a creative boldness and freedom about them none mm. of them are what i expected from them oh, at great. all. really have you watched their shows and what i have 40? not no, okay. no
3: but i i will be November first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right
2: and in terms of as you talked about the streaming tv tv now is as much the world of Creativity, isn't it, and creative freedom as, right. as film. Maybe even more. Do you feel that way? That this is the space where the real creativity is happening? Is that something you want to carry on working in?
3: Yeah, I, I, it's it's kind of crazy how how uh, I mean how everything has evolved in general. But just from when I started working in this in this business, and I'm working alongside people who've been doing it twice, if not three times, as long as me. Uh, and and there have been so many changes made. But I think it's exciting. I think that you know. Come November 1st, this specific platform will be so easily accessible to everyone around the world, and there's something about that that's pretty incredible.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That was Haley Steinfeld, and Dickinson, like the wave of other Apple TV Plus shows, hits the service when it launches on Friday, the 1st of November. First up this week, we have a very anticipated show. This is the BBC's adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials, which stars Daphne Keane as Lyra Belacqua mm-hmm. and, and takes place in an Oxford of demons and zeppelins and, and there are armoured bears that come into this later. It's a, it's a, whole, it's a whole thing. This is, this is one that I think, fans of this have been looking forward to for a long time incredibly popular books adapted into a film so terrible it basically sunk a studio (laughs) (laughs) so you know not to say there's a lot riding on this but there's a lot riding on this one i would say boyd were your materials suitably dark (laughs) they were um, yes,
2: I am a fan of Philip Pullman's uh, books, and um, I think I first—I think we—I was—I used to do a show with Simon Mayo on um, radio where we'd review two, two books every fucking week after we oh two. God. I know it was a lot, I tell you. And one week, many many years ago, we did—I um, think pretty sure it was the first in his Dark Materials trilogy and we reviewed it with Philip Pullman there. In front of it absolutely bizarre the whole setup, um, and I remember thinking how brilliant the book was because he wrote these books not in, not in a, not aimed at a particular age group you know even though they end up being kind of young adult slash family friendly slash children's friendly books, he just wanted to write about an kind of alternate version of our world with a kind of Harry Victoria Victorian element because he was very into that just culturally he wanted to write about um, how all this might affect a young woman and um, and that's what he did and then it ended up being a massive phenomenon a massive global worldwide best-selling trilogy of books mm. kind of second only maybe to Harry Potter in terms of cultural yeah. impact but he never really intended that to happen mm. he just was writing about wanting to run to... and they do with huge themes religion mm. you know society the law justice soul existence soul. so all of the characters we now have these demons which are their kind of soul reflected as, as an animal that accompanies them wherever they go um, whole, the story is set up whereby Lyra has been dropped off at an Oxford college which is again a kind of another world version of Oxford college mm-hmm. by her uncle Asriel um, played by James McAvoy and now that bit by the way is taken from a recent book by Philip Pullman's, not in the original trilogy La so Belle that's Sauvage up, no um,
0: oh, the, the Book of Dust The Book of Dust least, um, that is the same thing is, no I think that's the first Book of Dust is the series Belle Sauvage is oh, the first okay. installment the oh, secret well, commonwealth of course right. being the second installment right. anyway, never anyway. try to out
2: me boys. anyway so <laughs> um, she's been brought up by these professors her uncle goes exploring to find out what this mysterious thing of dust is there's a whole group of people who are kind of like these old dudes who, who are basically the establishment and they're doing various invest, doing various, mm. investigating very strange things children are disappearing meanwhile outside the walls of the university and that we get to see kind of local working class community and that's really interesting of which the children are disappearing and and then in swoops this very charismatic exciting character um played by Ruth Wilson. Wilson, thank you. And towards the end of the first episode, and she kind of wants to, for some reason, some nefarious, weird reason, take Lyra away from this world and kind of go, lock, go off Go off. Her demon is a sneery-looking monkey. Right, her demon is a sneery-looking monkey. Now, what which, this is adapted by Jack Thorne, so talk about a moment for Jack Thorne. Yeah. We've mm. got his show on Channel 4, his film, he's done The Aeronauts, which is coming out yeah. in yep. cinemas. I mean, he is just incredible. And he's done it again because this is dense, richly textured, complicated stuff. And he's kind of made it... The best thing for all, he's made it... There's a clarity to it, I thought was very impressive. Um, I think that's partly why he took that bit from that most recent book <laughs> by Philip Pullman, just to make things a bit clearer, to make the origins of Lyra clearer. Um, and I think it's got a kind of... It's got a kind of epic scope. It feels like a big thing could produce at BBC and HBO. And you get that. The, you, you, the money's there on the screen. I, I was very impressed. I've only watched the first episode. Mm. Um, but I think and I'm all, but I think the big big game changer in it in that First episode is the arrival of Ruth. <laughs> um, yeah. Ruth Wilson is great because and... she's so charismatic, and that character is the best thing about the whole thing. I mean, yeah. that carries on all the way through. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about carrying watching and it, and all the lessons of the terrible, terrible film. The, ter- the film was vanilla. Nicole and Kidman in that role, of course. In the yeah, film. I mean, mm. Kidman was fine, but the film itself kind of shied away from dealing, mm. getting to grips with the m- big, big themes. And the main theme is religion and how organized yeah. religion um, can be an incredibly oppressive thing. And that it just kind of completely glossed over that whole thing. Whereas this is dealing with that right from the start.
0: Yeah. Now I, I I was I was really sucked in by this. My one of my great shames is I read uh, the first book Northern Lights and I read the, the Subtle Knife. I never read the Amber Spyglass, so I, I never read the third book in this series. This incredibly acclaimed series of books. Uh, so now I might actually hold out, and although this is probably blasphemy, and watch this series because I've forgotten all of it anyway. But mm. I, I I I really loved this. I remember being quite entranced by the idea of demons and thinking, oh, that would look really good on screen. And I think they really do that well. I think. The demons having, uh, you know, young children's voices sort of mm. makes them feel like there's a real sort of kinship, a partnership between like the child and their demon. Um, and I love the fact that the demons are often, to a certain extent, a representative of the person they're attached to. So you can tell that Ruth Wilson is a wrong because her demon looks like a little <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> but but vis-
1: I think visually having puppetry and CGI mm, really helps mm. in terms of it actually looking... Really fucking fantastic. Yeah. It does look and great, so real.
0: I mean, we should say the version that we saw didn't have a hundred percent final effects, <laughs> yeah. but it still looked pretty bloody good. And yeah. Oxford itself is. So- uh, i really enjoyed clark peters in this as the master uh lester freeman from the wire love him uh that was great i love the whole idea of you know like that sort of academic sanctuary mm. that, uh, that they're protected from this sort of theocratic order the magisterium by you know by virtue of being an institution of learning uh, it's a really dense mythology it's got beautiful world building and i mean there's a reason why these books have been so successful mm. uh and it's it's certainly not I don't think anyone would call this necessarily unadaptable but it was certainly it's an ambitious adaptation but it looks like they've done a really good job with it so I would I would definitely recommend this
1: but they did the world building and still made it accessible because it will shock you to know that I haven't read these books <laughs> I am shocked. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> there's not enough misery in this <laughs> there's,
1: there's not really up my street but um, uh, having seen the film which felt bloated and kind of baffling and obviously the effects were terrible it (laughs) it did everything that that didn't do and it, it felt from what I know of the story faithful but still um a appropriate for the medium so a there's a benefit right of eight hours of storytelling but obviously segmenting it the way they do um but it didn't feel so dense that it's completely impenetrable. Um, there is a, a, a little bit of exposition at the beginning, um, which I'm never ever ever a fan of. But I don't know any other way you could have yeah, done yeah, it because yeah. you need to set that universe out. It looks incredible from the get go. From the opening shot, they the world they've created, which I think was sh- shot part in Oxford, part on sets um, at Bad Wolf. Mm. Um, It just looks incredible. The detail is absolutely phenomenal. Daphne Keane, who I absolutely adore. I think in Logan, she was just remarkable. She won an Empire Award um, uh, for Best New Actress a couple of years ago. She's a complete firecracker in this. But Ruth Wilson, I mean... Yeah. She it's just yeah. it's just her absolute moment. I just think she's absolutely phenomenal. What I did enjoy is that they didn't neglect the drama. So actually rather even though it looks epic rather than mm. kind of scale and bombast what they really focused on which again I think is Jack Thorne being Jack Thorne is the drama yeah. and the detail of the drama because it was actually in places quite leisurely which I was surprised about because you expect that first one to be so concerned with world building and filling everybody in that you go right through to the end but there was a lovely rhythm to it that I think um did feel quite leisurely in places but not rushed and that's mm. helped with it not feeling dense and not feeling impenetrable um so I really liked it I mean not as much as you do because you know demons and shit <laughs> yeah. but
2: you know <laughs> you wait till you get to the armored bears um <laughs> yeah Lynn manuel Miranda pops up um, yeah. halfway through we have to wait till episode four now yeah Just F- but yeah it's it's I was really.
0: Like, it is a bit leisurely, but then by the end of the first episode, you realise actually they've got through a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mm. think because it, it, it sort of it revels in its setting. Yeah, and I right think right. And, I, yeah. and, and I think yeah, it deserves to because it's yeah. just it's glorious spending time with these characters in this place. Uh, yeah, it's it's a magical little story. i really really like it. Looking forward to watching the rest. Magical of Magical little story. A, a magical little story. Is, feel, there's nothing little about it. I mean sure I mean it's a magical huge story it's a magical whopping great massive (laughs) behemoth of a story thank you Boyd for size-splaining to me Um, that of course drops on BBC One it begins on Sunday November the 3rd at a time I don't know 8 o'clock 8 o'clock says Boyd 8 o'clock there we go up next, we have season two of Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon, which once more sees John Krasinski as uh, as Tom Clancy's super spy uh, and Wendell Pierce as his old boss, who makes a, a triumphant return in this one as well. Um, this this show, I must admit, when when the first Jack Ryan season came out, I mainlined this, in, I think two days. I it's just it's one of these things. I think Clancy nails this with the books; they draw you in with these labyrinthine stories, and they are real page burners and I think what they did really well with the first season of this is they managed to make that work on screen it's just must watch another one must watch another one have to see what's happening it properly is sort of episode to episode TV and I've only managed to watch the first one of, of the second season but it, it's doing the same I'm, I'm, I'm already obsessed with it after one uh, I love it this one this one takes uh, Jack to Venezuela and it involves mysterious tankers unauthorized satellite launches oh all the good stuff <laughs> Terry by the look on your face I'm saying this wasn't so much a Patriot game as the sum of all your fears.
1: God I mean oh I mean okay look <laughs> this was never gonna be my natural thing right and I did not watch season one. Um I love John Krasinski and he is so such a to me a counterintuitive choice which makes him interesting. Mm. I understand the setup they're going for mainly because in the catch up they do at the beginning there are some zingers from the first season just to fill us, you know, people in who didn't watch the first season or forgot all about it. There's a beautiful line from him where he goes, I can't go to Yemen. I'm an analyst. And then
0: <laughs> he was, it's true. And
1: then another beer goes, try to look what look like you know what you're doing. I do know what I'm doing. God, tell your face that. I mean, like... it's they, That's awesome dialogue. The amazing <laughs> bit where it's like, um, oh, yes, he's the suit who's not used to being the action guy and the, and the trick is they're making the action guy. I get the everyman thing, right? The everyman kind of accidental hero who is actually super likable and he is really likable. Everybody's really likable. Like, the characters, they give as much prominence to as the action, which I really appreciate. <laughs>
0: Numi Rapace is in this. Was that, no? That didn't do it for you? It was,
1: it's it's fine.
0: David Aceveda from The Shield makes an it's, appearance. It's fine. Right. It's fine, says Terry. Good stuff, Boyd. Was it fine for you? I, I do like it. I, I watched the film. I, I, it's... it's I,
2: I really like spy thrillers. I Who mean, doesn't? a huge James Bond fan. It is like a, a it's kind like of
1: James Bond, though, is it? Well, it's like Dave Bond. <laughs> it is
2: Dave Bond. Yeah. It's Dave no, Bond. No, it is Dave Bond. It's James Bond with a bedraggled suit and a, and a, you know, and he can't do his tie up properly. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it good, yeah. really. I it, get it that is... that's the point. Yeah, but, I know. mean, it, it, you either. Yeah, I mean, I fully embrace it, and I think and it does make it. I mean, the last Jack Ryan film, which was weird... Shadow Recruit with was Chris Pine, yeah. Chris Pine was so pointless. Yeah, and, and that was like Chris Pine. Was such a kind of banal, bland version of mm. the character. I think they've learned their lesson from that. And I feel this is kind of, this has got a point to it, which is, you know, what would happen if you plonked this just normal desk job guy in the middle of Caracas and Wemp is being shot at by terrorists and and he has to deal with Numi Rupas and who knows what she's up to and so I kind of it is I like that stuff and mm. I do I think it's very well done for what it is I think it is you know it, it the, the, the storytelling is good it, it is like it's just basically like an eight hour you know Tom I mean, Clancy Tom Clancy, <laughs> Tom Clancy <laughs> th- film but with, with you know with production values of
0: the best of of yeah. those films really bear in mind like apart from Shadow Recruit all of those films are great like Hunt from Red October some of all fears with Ben Affleck also does that he's quite new to job thing and does it really really well yes I was
2: going to say that's what I was saying the last one was the worst one the only bad one the rest are pretty good films and so this is kind of right we're doing we're doing what needs to be done we're telling these stories and it's and if you like that kind of thing I think it works I do feel it's slightly weird that Krasinski has signed up to this whole thing like they've already commissioned the third season and he can do anything couldn't he right now it's like he is you know like he, super powerful figure and he's doing and he's spending a must be a long a lot of time doing three seasons of this yeah. I like it as I do but I know what Terry means it doesn't feel essential
1: no and that's that's what I struggled with yeah. is there is in in this genre in cinema there's such exciting stuff happening and if you think just about action generally like all yeah. I kept thinking about all the way through was can I turn this off and watch uh, Mission Impossible Fallout would that be alright for the eighth oh. time would that be okay like yeah I because, can see that completely because yeah. the character's fine and the action's fine it looks really slick and it looks really good but there was nothing about it where i could cling on to it and go this is Mm. why i must keep watching Mm. this one and i think you know especially with all you've got so much amazing telly and so much so many amazing characters and the every and i understand the point of the everyman thing but it also made made him for me a little bit like boring because he isn't Mm. an everyman i want i want them to be sexy and cool and hard and difficult and do you know what i mean yeah like he's a he's a such a lovely guy
0: See, really, I disagree on that point. Like Mission Impossible, I love those, but they are certainly the, the more recent ones. They do action like nothing else on earth. But I think the action comes first, and the kind of espionage storyline feels like a secondary point. Oh, yeah, point but to I'm the all action. right with that. Whereas with this, it's the other way around. But with this, it's like, how is it playing out? What is the mystery? How does it go? You know, how does he navigate it? This. Uh, but is like, that
1: story compelling? Because you need. Oh, a, very
0: much so. Yeah. You
1: need such an, a compelling story and execution of that story. I know, and I love it. You do really. I think really that love story it. So this
0: does for me what Bosch does for me—exactly the same thing. Where it drops on Friday and it gives me that this is going to be an awesome weekend feeling. Where I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch every fucking episode of this and I'm going to love every minute of it.
1: This is the purest thing I've ever seen. No,
0: but it's pure for me. It's, no, it's you. It's, you. <laughs> this is the purest
1: thing I've ever seen. Pure, James.
0: No, but this is like same thing with Bosch. It's like it's it's a it's a mystery story and it's going to play out over these episodes and it's going to have me on the edge of my seat from A to Z and I'm going to love it all and it just sort of and it plans out and it takes you twists and turns takes you up takes you down it's great absolutely great but it's 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 a pure novel in TV form um, so in the same way that you might burn through a Tom Clancy novel in a weekend I'll burn through it on my Amazon
1: that's how I feel about SVU
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean oh good god SVU famous for its long arcing intricate storylines
1: but you you just described a formula, right? You described what sounds like a very comforting formula where you know exactly what you're going to get and you know exactly how it's going to be plotted and the kind well, of arc you're going to go on. And I'm with you on but that. But
0: no, see, that's the opposite. The thing is, with this, I genuinely don't know where this is going to go. And that's part of the fun. It's taking me to Venezuela. <laughs> what waits for Jack in the jungle, Terry? I don't know. Do you? <laughs> Oh, God. Anyway, watching, watching James getting excited about it is actually more exciting
1: than watching it. Yeah, and I, I like just, it. Can I, mean, I just say, this makes yeah. me want to go back and reconsider yeah, 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 it. Yeah. And I never will. Yeah. But kind of yeah. the joy it's brought to oh, you so is much real. So much joy. So
2: much joy. To the joy. Twitter person who said, I sit on the fence, Terry Hastings. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Yeah. I mean, compared to James, I feel I'm sitting <laughs> on the fence
0: because I don't like it that much. <laughs> so the five-star show, <laughs> Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, season two, uh, drops on Amazon on Friday, November the 1st. Now... Also, on Friday, November the first, is everything dropping on Apple TV Plus, which obviously launches on that day. Uh, so we have waded through the launch shows, the scripted launch shows. We haven't done Snoopy in Space. Does that count as scripted? I suppose a script. As <laughs> it has a script? We haven't done but the kids. We or haven't done Snoopy in factual. Space. Or there's something else. There's an, there's, an elephant. Yeah, there's something, film? About on there. something about elephants. <laughs> something about elephants. I left the elephants. I yeah. thought you know what? Life's too short for the elephants. Um, right. Okay. But let's begin. At the beginning with The Morning Show. This is Apple's big hitter. With more stars than you can shake a news anchor at, Uh, not least of all Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, and Billy Crudup. It also has Jack Davenport, who wanders in at one point. (laughs) Um, This is the story of Aniston and Carell as the Richard and Judy of American television. Except this is this is where my cultural touch points are. Who the hell are they? (laughs) Who the hell is that? (laughs) That's that's Good Morning Britain, isn't it? Yes. Okay, good. See, see. Well done. I'm hip. I'm cool. I've got the four one one. Anyway. for one one I'm quoting <laughs> 10 I, Things I Hate I, About I You know
1: you are but it's <laughs> the funniest thing ever because
0: <laughs> what you're saying because I am basically the dad from 10 Things I Hate About You yes you are and you're not going out and getting jiggy <laughs> with some boy I don't care how dope his ride is
1: I am five and a half months pregnant. It's a bit late for that.
0: You make a fair point. This has gone off the rails. (laughs) Right, anyway, so they are... Aniston and Carell are the Richard and Judy of American television. Yes, yes, they are. I will brook no argument. Except we begin as Carell is fired for sexual misconduct, throwing a spanner in the works for America's mum and dad. And then there's Reese Witherspoon, who's a regional conservative correspondent who goes viral after an outburst at a protest and soon finds herself whisked away to the big leagues and nipping at Aniston's heels. Terry, was this... A BBC breakfast for you or Piers Morgan doing the other one?
1: Well, I don't need to uh, cover off any of the plot because James just did the entire thing. But um, It's all about Eve with microphones. Let me just say, I, I'm i going to start by saying I have really missed Jennifer Aniston on telly and i really miss Steve Carell on telly. Christ almighty, by the end of it, I was like, why has Jennifer Aniston done no amazing telly since Friends? Like, mm. seriously. And and her, I have a big beam up on it about her <laughs> film career and how she's not necessarily got the roles she deserved and actually some of the roles that I think she's really... Right. In. Rowles. Rowles. she's She's kind of been... I think she's so underrated as an actor, I really, 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 really do. Um, so I'm just going to say that from the get-go. I loved this, unsurprisingly. It so perfectly articulates the dynamic and the power struggles of morning TV, which I think we find difficult to kind of understand in this country because it is BBC Breakfast <laughs> and it's Piers and Susanna and it's, you know, it is what it is. In New York, morning TV and in America, and it's always filmed in New York, morning TV is the biggest TV of all. The salaries at play, um, the ratings at play, the money on the table... And it's this incredible world of backbiting and sniping, and people getting stabbed in the back. Like the the page six column in the New York Post every day when I lived there used to be full of like gossip about somebody doing somebody over and somebody having millions taken from their contract. Like it is such a rich world that it is absolutely ripe for this kind of um, show. Now. It is, it is as you say, about these co-anchors, Mitch and Alex, played by Steve Quill and Jennifer Aniston. It opens as he's already been fired and she's finding out uh, amid a Me Too scandal. And it essentially threatens her position on the show. It threatens the show. Is this going to be a point where they get in either a completely new team, they reboot it, you get the sense that Jennifer Aniston's um, character has kind of been off the boil for a while and they've been looking for a reason to do this. And in some respects, it's kind of a, a, a really interesting examination of power and, and Me Too. Um, but it's also about the responsibility of journalism, about the future of journalism in an era where social media means everybody with a phone is a journalist. What is citizen journalism in all of this? What is the role of all of that? You've got the gender dynamics of that kind of world. Um, and in the background of all this, you've got Reese Witherspoon's character, who I greatly enjoyed. I have to <laughs> say, she is a gobby, difficult, volatile, um, passionate local reporter who's clearly got ourselves in hot water over and over and over again. Ends up on the morning show because a video um, she did where she was at a coal mine protest went viral, um, and you can you can obviously see where this setup's going to go, but. I I only watched the first episode and that was only because she, we had to watch 84,000 other things because because I almost sacked off everything else to watch the second episode. Oh. The, I just want to say that Jennifer Aniston, as a dramatic actor, there is a scene where she eventually confronts Steve Carell and um, they have their kind of first face-to-face meeting. And the stuff she kind of talks about about kind of her identity and, and what it means when you're in a role like that. And that scene I just thought was absolutely perfectly executed. And you just see what she's capable of Um yeah, I think it's amazing. And I think the rest of it's going to be amazing. Doesn't, and I can't wait to it. Doesn't it
0: feel so current? Like, yeah. so current. Like, they name check Weinstein. Like, yeah. there is no messing about with this.
1: Well, they started it before... I was reading that they started mm. it before the Me Too scandal. And then when, obviously, um, t- Me Too came out, they were like, we need to bring this into the show. Mm. And, obviously, there have been a lot of cases in America... Um, on, sh- on shows and on new shows where this has been kind of accused. And it doesn't, it's not a simplistic version of it because it is, it's relationships where there's been a power imbalance as opposed to assaults. We're talking about cases where there have been relationships where there has been a distinct power imbalance and it's about harassment and it's about abuse of power. And those really nuanced issues which are kind of much more trickier at the heart of Me Too because Steve Carell is this kind of raging... Um, um mm-hmm force of masculinity who can't understand why the world has changed why mm. has the world changed it was okay 20 years ago why is it not okay now and what he does really convincingly is really displays that kind of lack of understanding and, re- and what I in his complete incomprehension about what has happened and why it's happened 100% and I mm. just think he he's not a, a kind of a stereotype a stereotypical Stere- <laughs> a I think st- stereotypical sorry, I think he's not a stereotypical he's not <laughs> A stereotypical villain at all no. he's he's a man really struggling to make his way in this reality who at this point and I'm don't know if this will change can't comprehend Mm. that he's done anything wrong. But
0: I think that was a really valid point to make because there is an absolute contingent of people who just think this is all liberal hysteria and it's always been fine, so why is it not fine? And the lack of understanding that this isn't acceptable. And actually, it's not like it isn't acceptable now. It kind of was never acceptable. It's just taken a while for people to notice. Um, Yeah, I really like this. I like that they tackled the fake news aspect of it as well. You know, as our token representative of fake news in America, (laughs) I feel qualified to say that. I thought it was fantastic. This was perilously high on the bell endometer of mine. But, oh, yeah. but but I there Some were a enough session esque in, in a litany of bellends. But <laughs> there was enough for me to latch on to. Because mm. I mean there's there, I mean, there's real bellendry I, I Reese Witherspoon's character, when she begins, I felt would be two-dimensional bellendery. But actually she's a lot more layered than that. And I found that character much more interesting. Mm. And but um, when she she has a, a sort of a big uh, conversation with Jennifer Aniston's characters, I thought the amount of things going on in that conversation that were unsaid was quite extraordinary. Yeah. And this is funny. I remember, Boyd, when you first saw this, you were like, what we expected this to be when we heard it announced was half-hour comedy mm-hmm. about a morning show. This is an hour-long drama about a morning show. And to me, you know, more than anything else, this this felt a bit like a, an almost spiritual successor to the newsroom, like I Aaron Sorkin's newsroom, yeah, which I fucking love. Uh, and obviously this doesn't have Sorkin's gift for poetry and motion and dialogue, but uh, but it also, and it, and, it, and it dials a little bit back on the sort of whimsy and the stuff that, that Sorkin often brings as well. the smugness but but the smugness yes that's it it dials back (laughs) on the smugness but there is humor in this and there's levity Mm. in it but it's dramatic and it has a lot to say and it's brilliantly acted and it's so compelling and exactly as you say terry when this got to the end i was like if i didn't have another 20 possibly 30 hours of television to watch before i go to bed i would have watched all of them Mm. i really would
2: yes i i was so shocked that it wasn't what i was expecting it to be which was as you say and it was never and i just completely assumed from the start as soon as Aniston, Carell, Witherspoon, a show about breakfast TV in America. Oh, it's going to be an out-and-out comedy, mainly. That was my main um, idea of what it was. And it's not that at all. As you say, it is, it is at the very least a dramedy, yeah. uh, mostly dramatic. And it is very much hot-button, hot-topic Me Too, looking at that, foregrounding that very interestingly right from the start. And actually, and it, it also reminded me of Broadcast News. And there's, there is no greater um, compliment for me. I love Broadcast News, it's one of my favourite films. It's such a brilliantly. Real depiction of this, as you say, this world of incredible competitiveness um, in American broadcasting. A little bit Studio 60 as well, another Aaron Salkin thing, which I preferred mm. actually to to the newsroom. I think Studio 60 well, yeah.
0: was more lighthearted. The uh, newsroom yeah. got a but, little bit but, po-faced.
2: But as as Terry says, the, uh, it's, it's interesting. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon are executive producers on this project and have mm. been there from the start. And what if you look into the history of it? What seems to have happened? I think I'm right in saying is that uh, the dude who was originally going to be the showrunner ended up not being the showrunner. Runner and it's now mostly run by women, including Mimi Leder, the director, mm. um, and other and other um, female writers and producers are involved. And I feel like they've they've they have turned it to, into a different thing, and it is now very much foregrounding me to that. And it, that's why it does feel so urgent and interesting. And and I, and I totally went along with its depiction of all that. As you say, the the individual moments. It's all about in in some telling of this story, you could not show those key moments. You could say, well, you know, there's a, and they've confronted each other, but they really hone in on these big confrontational moments there's a lot of shouting and Mm. screaming in this first episode Mm, and a lot of chucking of stuff and whacking the tv and you know it's kind of it's kind of doesn't shy away from being big but i kind of believed all that i kind of believed that that's how because these people are living heightened lives aren't they they're living you know in their own bubble and i think portraying what it would be like it's quite interestingly it it punctures the ego of very famous people in america and to see jennifer aniston doing that as you Mm. say so convincingly i feel like she's this is—I feel like she's reminding everyone of how brilliant she is because I agree, she's fucking great. Mm. So is with a spoon, but she's really the one for me who is mm. like she's giving herself some big dramatic scenes in this, and she pulls it off, and, and she's absolutely believable and kind of skewing. I think what people probably think she's like to some extent, you know, kind of looking at that. That even though yeah. she does do big glamorous glitzy photo shoots on the cover, amazing, she is actually a, a kind of soulful proper human being, and it's looking at that as well. I think it's really—I agree. I think it's really really interesting.
0: Yeah, and as Apple's essentially big ticket it launcher yeah. i think this really does deliver yeah. what it promises Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this and we'll get into this i guess at the end of this section a little bit when we when we look at them all as a whole but i think this is i guess what separates this from from uh disney plus is that while disney plus leans heavily on existing ips and stuff we're always going to be excited about whether it be star wars or marvel or whatever they are doing interesting new things with very established very good people and actually that's a really exciting prospect um that was the morning show, but we've got about another 15, so bear with us. Up next is, is see, this is the, the sci-fi property of the batch. This is directed by The Hunger Games' Francis Lawrence. Comes from Stephen Knight, who is, stay with me, going from peaky blinders to freaky blindness. It's good to Good joke. Good joke there. Um, anyway, this stars Jason Momoa and Ooh. takes place in a distant future where all of humanity is now blind and to even speak of sight is deemed heresy and punishable by death thanks to the Queen's Witchfinders. Uh, and this show features Jason Momoa in full Cull Drogo mode as Baba Voss. some impressive action between armies of warriors all devoid of sight and, and I can't emphasize this enough, a masturbatory prayer sequence that quite simply has to be seen to be believed isn't that right, boy?
2: Yes. Um, you just have to address the fact that in the middle of this show, which as you say is set in a future world <laughs> when humans can see, it was all about tribal battles and witch finds. The queen character suddenly starts frigging herself off in the middle while, of it. while praying, whilst praying, and kind of, kind of in public. But hang isn't? on, you yeah.
1: pray with two hands.
2: She, well, well, she finds well, a way around it. Yeah, she only—it's kind of her free. own press ceremony. It's very much a ceremonial frigging. And um, credit to me, I, I actually brought this up. I interviewed Jason Momoa and Alfred Woodard this morning, this very morning. It will, it will, I think we're putting it in the next week's um, episode. Indeed, we are. And I had to ask them about the the uh, the frigging um, thing, and they were very in- interesting well, about it. I, I have look to forward say. to hearing yeah. that. <laughs> but it's such a so for me it is, it is the Stephen Knight esque moment of the whole thing. Stephen Knight, of, as we know from Peaky Blinders. Um, he also worked on that thing with Tom Hardy what was that called that show Taboo. Taboo which was crazy from start to finish and the film that came out last year which was absolutely bonkers as well um he loves pulling the rug from under you um and doing just weird freaky stuff and so this kind of this show which you feel like to start with his world building and his epic in the wilderness and these tribal people and they can't see and he's got that big big high concept for it and he just about makes it believable that these warriors are fighting without being able to see it's a pretty extraordinary concept for us to go along with but I kind of did go along with it meanwhile his twins are, are, are being born Alfred Woodard's looking after them um from his kind of this this woman who's arrived with her destiny is to give birth to his children somehow and quite why and how that's important will play out in future episodes and so it's kind of like a bit Mad Maxy away a bit post apocalyptic mm. Mad Max but everyone no one can see and then but then in the middle of it the, the masturbation scene just shows you okay we're now in a, this really strange territory I don't know what's going on it's dealing with religion so the witch finding is really interesting I think it's de- it's big bold it's epic. And again, I think what ties together, you start to say, about these Apple shows, is none of them are what I expected. They're all a no, bit different. They're all I, subverted. They're were all expectations. Quite, mm. So I think they're te- they're they're what they seem to be going for, if I can kinda I don't know whether this is by design or by accident, certainly in picking these shows as the launch shows is they are all what I wasn't really expecting. They are all quite surprising in their different ways. They're all star-driven as well. Mm-hmm. They've all got big stars front and center in them, and maybe and so it feels like quite. This feels like they've got a strategy at least. Whereas I think sometimes you look at you know Amazon Prime and even Netflix, and you feel have they re- you know what is the strategy apart from just commissioning billions and billions of dollars worth of stuff? It does feel like there's something going on here with these shows. I enjoyed it, and I, I do genuinely want to carry on watching it, mm. which you know that's the
0: main thing. I mean, this was the most me show yeah, of any in well, this lineup. Um, now, understand, I have watched more than mine and indeed about 15 other people's share of <laughs> shitty post-apocalyptic science fiction shows. Yeah. And I was expecting from this something along the lines of all those shows I've seen before. Mm. And it really isn't that. No. Like, this wouldn't be on the sci-fi channel I mean, in, in a million years. It's barely sci-fi, is it? I mean, it's set in the no, future. No, it's well, set in but the it's not future, really but, it's also, but it feels like something from the past. And yeah. on, at one point when the, the Witchfinders all turn up, I thought, God, this honestly feels like i'm back in the 80s watching robin of sherwood just the Mm. way they're dressed and the demeanor and the way because it had that really old school sort of british you know sort of lo-fi feel to it because it's a lo-fi future and rather than being effects driven they use stunning sort of location shoots to and it would really bring it together but what they've done with this is the attention to detail i loved i love that they've clearly thought this through like what would it be like if no one can see so you have a point in this where two sort of armies come together and fight, but they've really thought through what would two entirely blind armies fight like and it is fascinating, mm. this is not Daredevil, this is not Rutger Hauer in Blind Justice they have like ones out front with whips and they're clearly listening for the sounds when someone wants to be handed something they quite rudely snap their fingers like this, but it's so the person can home in on where their hand is, and they've thought through all these little elements, and it's fascinating watching them fight and how they, they work out their defences based on sort of time and sound, and yeah, it, it really, really drew me in. It's not a fast-paced first episode by any stretch. Mm. Um, it takes a while to get going, and y- and you feel it's all build-up. This first one is all build-up. It's it's fascinating to see where this is going and see the sort of the strata that this society sort of is built on because uh, Jason Momoa is there they're a small village an outlying village but then you've got this sort of central almost civilization run by this <laughs> masturbating queen and her witch finders and the way they work in and name um, old tech so plastics and metals have certain names for and the way they um, obviously they only identify these things by touch so and they have they and they smell the air and taste things it's just oh I just thought it was great I had loads and Terry's Jerry's looking at me like I'm a lunatic <laughs> Yeah I love Jerry, to- there's this. no way Terry's
2: watching this programme no of course she won't right. <laughs> she would absolutely
0: hate it but I, I think this is really really good I'm fascinated to see how this plays out so I will, I will absolutely mm. be watching these um, but yes as, as with the last one the most important thing is this is not what you think it is uh, and we'll be saying that I think a lot mm. so that was C and that drops on the same day obviously now Third up, we have Dickinson, which is, if anything, the opposite of The Morning Show, which we thought would be a half-hour comedy, as in fact an hour-long drama. Dickinson, I just assume, would be an hour-long tedious drama, and it is not that. So this is Hayley Steinfeld's take on the famous poet, and one that is... Not a worthy drama, but instead a half-hour fizzy-pop bubblegum comedy that includes, among other things, Spectral Horses, the personification of death sporting a nose ring and top hat, a gag about Japanese horror film Ringu, drum and bass on the soundtrack, and many other things, uh, many of which include being the hallmarks of uh, of sort of teen high school movies, uh, only with added literature. Now... I'm going to go to Boyd first on this one for reasons which I think will become obvious. Boyd, what did you think of Dickinson?
2: well not just anyone um, dressed up as death Wiz Khalifa as I'm sure you know James is a big American rap music star ah yes Lo- love that Wiz <laughs> um, and uh, along with Hayley Steinfeld you've got Jane Krakowski who's you know a kind of iconic American sitcom actress yeah. 30 Rock etc as her mother as a very disapproving mother who's trying to set her up with a, a rich man any rich man will do um, she meanwhile is, is is in a kind of she's she's in a gay romance with her best mate yeah. um, Emily Dickens which is actually what happened in real life by the way um, I feel it, it is again, as we keep saying now. It's it's so not what I was expecting. It is this feels like a domestic sitcom about Emily Dickinson. Yeah, and it's kind as of silly, crazy as, crazy as that crazy, sounds. As <laughs> crazy as that sounds, I like the audacity of it. Um, the tone is kind of all over the place because it's, as you say, it's quite happy to do stupid jokes about stuff. That didn't happen. It's very and, anachronistic. Very anachronistic. Anachronism jokes. That's the word I was looking for. I couldn't think of that word. Jokes about stuff that hasn't happened yet in history.
1: <laughs> anachronistic.
2: Um, and quite basic kind of jokes about, you know, the the, the parents disapproving of her being a, being a writer and all of that. And it's quite the, the characters are a bit stereotypical, as all sitcoms deal with, really. But I thought it was fun and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it Was Clever's death. There's a really weird scene though. So just as you think, oh, okay, I've got a handle on this, this is a this is a broad Broad, fun sitcom about Emily Dickinson with David Gordon Green. I think is interesting. So he's the mm. director, and he, of course he he can do Pineapple Express and he can do some very arty, farty film at the same time. So, but then interestingly, in like towards the end of this first episode, just as I thought i got a grip on it, and you know I knew what it was, and it was an anachronistic sitcom and quite silly and funny. There's a scene at the end which is just completely bizarre and weird, and I'm not going to say any more than that because <laughs> i um, So I liked it. I'm sorry, I liked it. Terry, you loved it too, didn't you? Okay,
1: so I should say that I watched this twice, and I watched it twice because I had a very strong reaction when I watched it last night, and I slept on it, sent Boyd an email that just said, oh, and then then thought, you know what, I need to watch it again just to make sure. Um, So here's the thing, right? So... And we should say it's created by Elena Smith, who is incredible, who wrote on The Newsroom, who's a producer and writer on The Affair. Um, she is really interesting on Twitter. I really. She's a playwright. I really like her stuff. I just want to say that I really like her stuff. I expected to like this. I did not like this. So it is trying to be transgressive. It's trying to do something... Really interesting and modern and um, kind of subversive with a existing mythology around a female writer. That should make me all in. its very nature but I think it's nowhere near as transgressive as it wants to be I think it's confused about whether it actually wants to make a point or not because it kind of occasionally it makes a lot of very heavy handed points about women and writing and gender and stuff and then the other times it's so flippant and silly and I understand those things can coexist but I think it never settles between one and you kind of want it to do something I think you can still have a half hour sitcom that has a real meaning a a punch at the heart of it that is funded fundamentally real and means something um, a lot of it's very on the nose the stuff about the disapproving parents about being a female writer about you know trying to be married off she famously said and she didn't marry and she famously said she never wanted to marry um, there's some interesting stylistic choices. So her poems are kind of their graphics on the screen. Um, there are these fantasy scenes. Um, it is it is very slick. It reminds me of a pop video at times, almost. Um, there's certain scenes which are edited. There's a lot of music. It's it's you know there is. I lost count of how many songs there were in a half an hour show, and it felt and it felt very much like a pop video to me at times, um, rather than an actual kind of uh, consistent sitcom. I just don't think it worked. This, and I know this incongruous mix is what they were playing with, which is this kind of nineteenth-century. You know, half the time they speak it, like you and I are speaking right now. Half the time they speak in period language, which I couldn't. I was like, there must be some narrative reason. Let me examine the people speaking in period language. And no, um, I don't think I don't think that incongruous thing worked for me. So what it felt was was a bit facile and silly and whimsical in places, and. I understand this kind of impetus to go, this woman, Emily Dickinson, has always been presented in um, history, whether in films and in any kind of writings about her. She's famously a recluse, didn't really speak to anybody outside of her immediate family. There's um, long been rumours about the affair with her sister-in-law who, whatever the truth is, she was very, very, very close to. And, you know, she was obsessed with death and immortality. That If you read her poetry, that's in there. She was really obsessed with death, to the point where there's been many discussions about what well, she is suffering from a mental illness. And the kind of way that's handled here, I kept tripping up on because it was, you know, she's like, oh, death. Yeah, I love death. It's fucking amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm ad-libbing. But essentially that, and that kept tripping me up because I was like... And I like the undercutting of it. I like the theory of undercutting for it, but it just didn't work for me. All it felt so much like style over substance, and not everything has to be serious, and not everything has to, you know, be so worthy and all of that. But something wasn't connecting for me between what the show was maybe trying to say and the way it was executed, and the tone was all over the place. Which sometimes I quite like, but it, it didn't work for me here. And uh, I no.
0: So you're saying you didn't feel the big Dickinson energy.
1: How long have you been sat waiting to say A little that? while.
0: Quite a long time. The last seven <laughs> minutes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, i I'm more, I must admit, I was much more up on this. I wonder whether it isn't because you know more about and are perhaps closer to, not literally, Emily Dickinson, uh, that this didn't sit right with you. Like I don't know a great deal about either her work or her life. So I, I didn't bring any of that with me. I just really enjoyed the tone of this. I enjoyed the whimsy and just the daftness of it and the fact that they were applying essentially teen movie tropes to uh, you know a historical literary figure because um, if you'd taken this out of that era and set it in the present I mean it's like Edge of 17 isn't it like it has a lot of that kind of feel in it and it has a lot of stylistic flourishes you'd expect from that genre uh, uh, and not so much you know what you would expect this to be. Um, but yeah, I I, had, I thought she was really charming and loads of fun. She's the best me, thing in yeah, it. Yeah, it made me laugh a couple of times. I love the, and I won't spoil it for people, the very, very beginning where it deliberately sets up your expectations to knock them down. Like it plays into what you think it is and then deliberately subverts it just before the title sequence, which is lovely. Um, yeah, I thought this. I thought it was a lot of fun. and And we're going to say this endlessly today. It just isn't what I expected. So I think perhaps that that helped make it a lot more charming for me
1: and I have to I think I am going to I am going to say right now I think I'm going to be out on a limb on this I mm. think other people are going to enjoy it a lot more than me. I did do an entire module at university on Emily Dickinson. I have very strong feelings about her work at ah. and her so, poetry. Here we so, go. So, it
2: all comes out now. Did so you write your <laughs> twenty thousand
0: word thesis on Emily Dickinson? <laughs> no. Oh my God, this is your version of being me. You're like, I think you'll find Emily Dickinson was far more morose in her approach to death. <laughs> so when I'm going, and actually, she did have an affair with <laughs> yeah, her, yeah. which is I what Heidi Steinfeld right. told me. Yeah. <laughs> and Terry's like, Oh, you know nothing, Boyd Hilton. <laughs> an
1: examination of the writings would suggest so. And there's one letter in particular in which she describes her excitement at seeing her again oh do
0: there tell us something. more terry
1: anyway anyway so you know and um, i think i'll be out on a limb i think people will enjoy this i think this is um just me
0: terry's spin-off podcast dickensplaining why this isn't uh, an accurate representation of the poet's life explaining will be, a- will oh, be no, available something
1: else entirely
0: shortly uh and last but not least is the one that apparently only I have seen, which is for all mankind. This. this is- Yes, this indeed. isn't on and this yet, week's list And yet it is one of the launch shows It is a scripted show It is written by Ron D Moore of Battlestar Galactica fame And is therefore, oh, there I put forward A worthy contender Okay,
1: so You put this forward during the podcast Not on the email exchange we had yeah. At the start of this week Where we agreed the show yeah, it's, You it's, didn't want to mention it then It's almost
0: like someone neglected to include it
2: well, your, your <laughs> sudden rule that we have to review every single thing on every channel I mean it's... All right.
0: <laughs> admittedly that is not the rule we normally apply to this Probably podcast however right. in this particular instance I did think it worth, so... as so
1: um, as James decided to review this show alone not tell Boyd or I or and deviate off the agreed list why don't you take it away James I'm
0: going to keep this really really super brief um, are you though no I am yeah. I'm going to keep this very very brief uh, so so <laughs> this is from Rondi Moore and it takes place it's an alternate history show and it takes place in the world where uh, the Soviet Union union beat the u.s to the moon so it's it's set in the 60s and as a result of the russians being first on the moon uh the space race kind of never really ends and it kind of plays out from there joel kinnaman plays an astronaut and weirdly it's it's an odd thing to watch so soon after having seen first man because it it's tonally very you know it's very similar in the period that it depicts um but this is an alternate history show and I found it quite slow. I'm interested to see what I would... I'd love you guys to have seen this, actually, <laughs> because I struggle with it a bit. There's lots of Joel Kinnaman being moody in a bar because he wasn't the first man on the moon. There's a lots and lots of sort of, we are America, they actually have the line in the script, failure is not an option, which made me roll my eyes quite heavily. And it does take a while to get going. It does get there in the end. There's a very tense finale to this. It's got a. It's got a it builds up to a, a large sequence towards the end, which is, uh, which is very, very engaging. And I enjoyed that a lot. But up until there, I think I struggled with this a little bit. I certainly enjoyed it less than any of the other shows that are on launch. But I do wonder whether there's an element of you would have enjoyed it more. You know, in account mm. of it's boring and not all that happens, and that's your bag. So um, you're looking at me. Sure. And. uh <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's Romney Moore, so I'm in- inclined to give it the benefit of the doubt. So I suspect it will go to interesting places. Um, that's not necessarily evident from the first episode. It does pose a lot of interesting questions, like what would have happened if America weren't the first on the moon? How would that have affected, you know, the the national mood, how things played out after that? What would happen if they'd continued the space race and it had become this sort of... Uh, almost like obsession between these two countries on an ongoing basis. Terry's looking at me like is that interesting? I don't right. think that's fucking interesting.
1: But it's just like oh thank god somebody's finally thought to have that hypothetical conversation. <laughs> are you kidding? I don't know,
0: alternate history shows are always fun for that for that reason because it's just like it's a what would have been type thing. But I don't know. That's been
1: like explored a million times what would have happened if America wasn't first on the moon. Has it? It's not exactly
0: like novel. <laughs> Where? Where has it been explored? I'm, sh- I'm sure you are absolutely right. Um, they've explored everything. It's probably in a comic, hasn't it? Like Red Sun, but like Red Moonlander. <laughs> anyway, so that's for all mankind, and that also drops. I didn't love it, but you might. And that's Apple TV Plus. So, what are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on the new service which launches on Friday for the. Is it 4 and 99 I want to say? Yes. And do all these episodes drop at once?
2: Um, no it varies I think um, Dickinson's all dropping at once mm. I'm not sure I think the morning show might be three and then I think they might be parceling out that bit. makes sense yeah so
0: it will vary yeah and then there's two. more shows some of which I've seen uh, rolling out over the yes. next couple of months as <laughs> yes well. the M. Night Shyamalan yes.
2: which you've seen which is embargoed until it comes out I, we
0: can't, don't know, I we cannot, don't cannot speak of it no. no
1: so I've got a question for yes. 99 a month yeah. um, how many shows does it launch with <laughs> I think seven, I would say. Yeah, oh. it's
0: these ones that we've talked yeah. about and there's The Elephant Show and there's Snoopy in Space. And a couple of oh. other kids shows. Yeah.
2: yeah, oh. yeah. But, but then within, I think within a month there'll be another. I think so by the end of the year, I think there'll, yeah, be, there'll like be quite like a, a few and it's you know, going to
0: build up steam from there. And there's a lot of stuff on the horizon as well, you know. So I don't know, like $4.99 a month, isn't a lot especially when you consider the amount of hours of entertainment you get even at launch and even if you didn't get anything else for two months that's still 10 quid for all of those shows so i'd feel pretty happy about that yeah regardless and
2: it's free if you get i'm
0: not if it's free if you buy a new well that's apple
1: the other thing <laughs> yeah,
2: if
0: you have a new apple product then you get it free for a year which free, isn't bad yeah, either yeah. so yeah. i don't know Like I, i'm i'm much more excited about apple tv plus as a as a platform than I perhaps was earlier on because everything was so eclipsed by, by Disney Plus for me mm. just seeing you know the Marvel shows and the Star Wars shows and all of that stuff which was always going to get me excited I was just like take my money take my money take my money and this felt a bit like yeah sure why not but actually this I think in some ways it's, it's bolder I mean the risks they've taken with all of these shows are incredible mm. and I think if they continue to do that if they continue to say well no we're going to do the opposite we're not going to lean on stuff that's already established we're going to go completely batshit get great people and get them to do crazy stuff some of it will work some of it won't work um, but that's a, that's really exciting certainly if they keep that as an ethos I'm, I'm sold yeah I'm excited
1: I just miss an archive I like an archive they'll have an
0: archive in time give them time they're building an archive
1: okay
0: okay Apple TV Plus launches on Friday November the 1st and I will get to talk about the other shows that I've seen in due course And that, I think, is probably it. Because I'm saying none of us have the time or energy to do a Banshee at this point. So should we save them till next week? Sure.
1: Controversial. I know. Well, we've been going for like an hour and a half or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it'll be by the time I've cut it down. But it's been a while. So I'm saying we will probably have no Banshee this week. But I will return next week to Banshee dead set as promised.
1: Oh, I was gonna uh, say, does that
0: mean you don't have one? No, I have one. I dead set is my banshee, but I just I have the energy at this point. <laughs> it's basically look yeah. looks like uh, he going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so my my dead set banshee can wait till next week. Charlie Brooker, if you're listening, uh, you can look forward to that then. Um so yes, okay, that is it. <laughs> for this entirely exhausting <laughs> episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our 100,000 reviews, but at this point, we we'll are pretty much settled for you still being conscious. Uh, as ever, we Oof. work for stars, so please give us a bunch on iTunes. We are also all over Twitter and Instagram, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, at Terry underscore Y. Of course, Terry's actual handle on Instagram is different to her one on Twitter, but I cannot be bothered to say them both. So go on one, and I'm sure you'll find the other. We'll be back next week with what will hopefully be <laughs> a far more manageable number of shows and we will also be joined as you have been told by jason momoa and alfre woodard to talk about their experiences on sea during which i am assured sudden masturbatory (laughs) prayer interludes were kept to the absolute bare minimum pilot out